Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When it comes to the subject of grace, it certainly is not something that is totally foreign to the Christian world. Whenever you engage in conversations with people who consider themselves to be Christians, whenever you engage in conversations with these folks and you ask them, do you believe in grace? It's very unusual for someone to say, I do not believe in grace. In general, everybody believes in grace. There are lots of people who believe in grace. The problem is, is that even though they believe in grace, for some reason, in many ways, it seems as if they don't know anything about grace. They don't know anything about the grace of God because everything else that they say totally contradicts our understanding of what the grace of God really means. The way that they live and the way that they encourage other people to live does not seem to be a life on the basis of grace. And so what does this mean? What does it really mean for someone to say that they believe in grace? Well, this can mean a number of different things. And because of that, it's very important to just ask the individual, what does that really mean to you to say that you believe in grace or that you teach grace or that you share the grace of God with other people? What does that really mean? Well, I can tell you in my experience that the most common way, the most common way that a person describes the grace of God, the most common way that a person lives their life on the basis of what they believe the grace of God is, what that really means to them is that they do the best they can to repent from all of their sins, to obey the commandments of God, that they try, that they commit themselves that they devote their lives to living in obedience to all that God commands them to do. But when they fall short, it is then that they turn to their God to seek his grace. That's normally what it means to people, is that they mean that the grace of God is the default. It is what you turn to. It is what you rely on for when you fall short. And the expectation is, is that as you mature in your faith, You will perhaps find ways of sinning less, that you'll reduce the amount of sin in your life. And when that happens, then you don't necessarily need as much grace, but that you will always depend on some grace in order to make up the difference for where you fall short. That this is what many people believe about grace, that this is their teaching, this is their doctrine. And so if you were to ask them, what is the doctrine of grace After you listen to them for probably a very long period of time, eventually you'll find that most people take the position that it's what you turn to, it's what you rely on, it's what you depend on when you fail to live in obedience to God, that you try to do the best you can, but when you fail to live in complete obedience, then you just simply rely on his grace. Now, I did actually do a complete program on this. I called it the scale between law and grace, and so I'm not going to get into the details concerning this perspective. Instead, I'm going to move forward and talk about grace as a doctrine, as a teaching from another point of view, and that is to speak about it or to consider it as a doctrine or a teaching in a collection of various teachings 
that people can consider or people can look into or learn about when it comes to the Christian faith. That the doctrine of grace, the teaching of grace, is for many people just another teaching in a collection of teachings. For example, there are the doctrines of prophecy. There are the doctrines of sovereignty or free will, the doctrine of the kingdom, the doctrine of holiness. There are many doctrines, and if you were to do a search on Christian doctrines, you would find a whole list, or you could compile a very substantial list of different doctrines that people believe are important concerning the Christian faith, and people will devote a significant amount of time to studying the different doctrines of the church, the different doctrines of Christianity. And, of course, different churches have different doctrines, and so they study the variations of the doctrines and how they may compare or contrast with others. This is the Christian life for many people, especially within the Christian academic community, in the seminaries, in the theological writings, in the historical writings of the church. There are many theologians, there are many Christian philosophers that are available today. There were many Christian theologians and philosophers in times past who documented their beliefs, who documented their studies, and people study their works today. In some cases, as if their works are just as valuable or the same as the Bible itself. So the doctrine of grace becomes another doctrine in a collection of teachings that people often refer to when it comes to the Christian faith or the church or how we are going to live. The problem with this, though, is that sometimes these doctrines may contradict each other. There may be some contradictions in the various doctrines, and this can be easier to do when you compare one denomination with another denomination, with one church versus another church, and in many ways you should expect there to be differences, because if there weren't differences, then they would just be the same. Why would they even have a different name? There are many differences, and within various denominations, within various churches, there are differences in the doctrines there, and those differences do, on occasion, contradict one another. There are ways that some people have found in order to reconcile these differences, in order to feel comfortable in the church that they are a part of, and I understand that. I don't want to say that there's anything necessarily wrong with that, because they may be correct. The issue, however, is that I want you to understand that the grace doctrine or the doctrine of grace is just simply another doctrine for many people. It is nothing more than another teaching, an additional teaching. And sometimes people will reveal that by saying things like, we are now going to study grace. We're going to spend a whole year just studying grace. Or sometimes people will say, we're going to now talk about grace. We're going to pray about grace. We are going to find a way to understand how grace is a part of our Christian life. These are the things that people are dealing with. They have been dealing with this ever since the church began, and today it is still ongoing. The issue, however, is though if this is another doctrine in the collection of doctrines, what happens is that we will see competition. Sometimes people are not interested in studying grace. Sometimes people want to study something else. Sometimes people have an interest in another doctrine that's not related to grace. They want to study something else. They want to grow in something else. And they may look at grace at a later date. But what happens is is that people will pick and choose certain doctrines that they like better than others or that they can relate to 
in a way that feels comfortable to them, and they can let the grace of God, they can let the doctrine of grace be pushed aside a little bit. Sometimes people can do that. The best way that I can think of to describe this is as a priority list. You know, we all have a priority list in our lives. I mean, if you were to sit down and write down a journal of all the things that you do during a week or maybe during a month, I believe you could take a close look at that list of the things that you have already done in the past, and you could identify a list of priorities. You could number those things as which things are of greater value or of greater importance than other things. For example, some people will spend a significant amount of time outside doing things outdoors. Other people will spend a significant amount of time doing things indoors. And if we assume that the weather has been consistent and has made it feasible to do one or the other and eliminate a few other factors that might disturb this study, if we were to compare what people have done versus what they could have done, then you will find that people make choices concerning what they want to do when, of course, they have the opportunity to make choices about what they want to do and that they actually do those things. You can identify a priority list. Now, if you were to ask them what kinds of things, or you could ask yourself, what kinds of things are important to you? What is important in your life? You can also compile a list like that, and you can number things in a certain order. Now, the reason to do this is to not just look at this list and say, oh, I understand now that there are things that are important to me. No, the reason for this is because I would want you to see and understand that sometimes things on this list do not happen. That there are things that are important to you, but they still do not happen, or you do not participate in these things, or these things are never realized in your life. And so if somebody was to ask you, are these things important to you? You could say very honestly, yes, these things are important to me. That's not the problem. The problem is that there were other things that were also important to you. And these other things that were important to you overwhelmed, overwhelmed those things that were also important to you, they were never realized because other things took precedence, other things took priority. And everyone is like this. Everyone has their own set of values. Everyone has their own set of things, their own list of things that are important to them, and there are some things that are never realized only because there are others that are more important. This is a practical issue of life, and if you want some things that are important to you to be realized, to be realized in your life, and in some cases you're going to have to choose those things over some other things that you also feel are important, and you'll have to make decisions about where the importance is actually going to be placed in many cases. Now, I'm telling you all of this in order to tell you that this is how people approach the Christian life that there are priorities, that there are things that are more important than other things to various people. And because of that, the doctrine of grace can easily get pushed aside. It can get lost. It may be important, but it may not be as important as something else. The doctrine of grace may be important, but it may not be as important as the doctrine of holiness, for example. In order to really explain this issue, I'm going to pick on this, and that is that the doctrine of holiness is often of greater priority than the doctrine of grace, which means that a person may want to depend and trust in the grace of God. 
in the graciousness of God. However, that is not as important as trying to get all of the sins out of their life. And that's another way that the doctrine of grace often becomes a default, something that people turn to when another doctrine is not fully realized or they fail when it comes to another doctrine or another teaching in their Christian life. And so please understand that many people do believe in the doctrine of grace. That's not the problem. The problem is everything else that they believe. Again, the problem is not that people do not believe in the doctrine of grace. The problem is that everything else that they believe will overcome, will overwhelm, will push aside the doctrine of grace, either because there's no time, there's no effort, or just simply because these other things might contradict the reality that we live according to the grace of God. Now, I'm speaking about this in a general way. I'm not getting into specifics. We would have to take individual circumstances to get into specifics. And this is a general program being broadcasted to a general audience. And so I'm not going to get into unique specifics. I'm only going to describe this in a general way and ask you to pray to the Lord and ask him how this explanation can be understood in your personal context, in the life that you are living With the people who you have exposure to, what would this really mean in your individual context? And I do believe that the Lord will speak to you concerning this. Now, there are many theologians in the world today. There have been many theologians in the past who have devoted a significant amount of time and effort to discuss these issues. Many Christian philosophers have attempted to tackle these issues. But regardless of what all the theologians believe and all the Christian philosophers believe, regardless of all of the big multi-syllable words that people may apply to this, it is going to come down to one of two distinct issues. It's going to come down to one of two distinct things. The first thing is, is that it is a doctrine. It is a teaching. And the second thing is that it is a person. And that's what I want to talk about in this program, and that is that the grace of God is not a doctrine. The grace of God is a person. Now, this is very difficult for people to embrace. It's very difficult, and I say this with great conviction because I have been doing this for a long time. I have been talking with a lot of people for a long time about this subject, and I will tell you straightforward that I have found that people have been overwhelmed by the theologians who are in their life. People have been overwhelmed by Christian philosophers, by their pastors, by their leaders, by family members who may not have any specific credentials, but have devoted a significant amount of time to study Christianity, to study the Christian encyclopedias, to study the Christian dictionaries. And when you talk with these people... You'll know what I'm talking about when I say that these people are nothing more than quotations of Christian encyclopedias and Christian dictionaries. They may have libraries of thousands of books, and they may have read them all, and they may be well-known in their churches. They may be well-respected by many people because of the great expanse of their knowledge. But folks, the gospel, the grace of God, the living God has nothing to do with these things. And I know that might sound very depressing for some of you, especially those of you who are pursuing this, who are pursuing a life of study, 
who are pursuing a life of examining the doctrines of this and the doctrines of that. You might find it a little depressing for me to say that, or you might just get angry with me like most people do. Either way, I'm still going to tell you that there is a big difference between knowing the teachings. There is a big difference between knowing the encyclopedias and knowing the dictionaries and knowing all the debates. There's a big difference between all of that and knowing the person of the living God, the living, the person. This is not about a subject. This is not about a doctrine. This is not about a theology. There is a person involved here. And this person is the one who has created everything. He is the one who has created you. And he wants you to know who he is. And in my honest and sincere opinion, I have found that the vast majority, there of course are some exceptions, but the vast majority of theologues, Christian theologians or philosophers, the vast majority of these folks, they wouldn't know the Lord from a lamppost. They wouldn't know him from a wheelbarrow. They would not know him from anything, although they may very well be able to discuss the subject. They may very well be able to discuss the doctrines, and they may be very aggressive about it as well, and in many cases they are. I have found that theologians, that theologues and philosophers, and of course many pastors, are extremely rude people. And in many cases they are extremely vicious and cruel people consumed by their pride. Pride in what? Pride in their knowledge. Pride in their understanding. Pride in their position. There are many sources of pride, but the fact is is that there are many people who may be able to quote everything in the Scriptures. They may have devoted their lives to memorizing the Scriptures, and they may be able to give you a definition for every theological word that has ever been conceived of. They may be able to do that, but they do not know their God. And it is reflected in the absence of the love of God in their life. It is reflected in the absence of their gentleness, that there is no such thing. They have no patience. They have no kindness. They have no discernment. No discernment whatsoever. In my case, that's what I'm confronted with more than anything, that there are a lot of people who contact me who are theologues and theologians and Christian philosophers and leaders, pastors, whoever. Many people contact me and they want to discuss a lot of theological stuff with me. And what they do is they talk to me as though I have never considered these subjects, as though I've never considered these things, as if I don't have the encyclopedias, as if I don't have the dictionaries. Folks, I have a lot of books. I have a substantial library, and I use it. I do. I don't have a problem with those things. Many of the things that I read, I do not believe in. I do not agree with. But it doesn't mean that I'm not going to expose myself to these things in order to have an understanding of what I'm dealing with in the world when I'm communicating the gospel to other people. But I get contacted by folks like this all the time, and it is so obvious that they have no discernment at all. Absolutely none. Because if they had any amount of discernment whatsoever, they would know that I have looked into these things. They would know that I've considered these things. They would know that when I say something and I take a position on something, I do so because I really believe it and because I have really put a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of prayer, and a lot of patience into the various things that I present, the various things that I explain and teach. But there is no discernment whatsoever. And the reason why is because they do not have the discernment of God. They do not have the love of God. 
They may have a vast amount of knowledge. They may know all about the doctrines, but they know absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing about the person. There is a God, and He is alive, and He is actively participating in our lives. And while you may not think so, He is anyway. You may not think that He is participating in your life, but that doesn't mean that He isn't. Or maybe he isn't, and if you don't know it, then maybe there's something wrong with you. I don't think there's anything wrong with him in being able to disclose that. It might very well be that you do not believe that your God is actively involved in the world that he has created. But to me, I see this everywhere. I see him everywhere. And the most important thing about his participation is that he continually reveals to his people what he has given to them. To me, that is the greatest participation that he has in my life and that I have in his, is the revelation of what he has given to me because of what he has done for me. I understand that most people cannot understand this, and the reason why is because people just do not believe that he has forgiven them of their sins. They do not believe in the inheritance that he has given to them. They do not believe in his perfect love and acceptance. They don't really believe in that, and so they cannot understand. They have no ability to discern what I am saying. But the rest of you, I'd like to go ahead and close this program by explaining to you that the grace of God is not about a teaching. And the reason why I can say that is because your God has given to you an inheritance as a result of his death. I explained this in the series that I did on the will of God, and I also talked about this in the series I did on our identity in Christ. But in this program, I'm just going to move forward and say that you have received everything that you need for life and godliness. You have all that you need. He has given to you everything that he has for you, and you are now able to live your life on the basis of what you have, not on the basis of what you think you're going to get. I understand, folks, that the vast majority of the Christian world is devoted to trying to get something from God. But when you understand the will of God, when you understand his forgiveness, and when you understand his resurrection, when you understand these things, and you discover that you have all that you need, that you have already been blessed with all blessings in heavenly places, and that there is nothing left for him to give to you except a revelation of what he has given to you, when you understand this, then you can relate to what I'm about to say. And that is that your God is gracious to you. He is gracious in the sense that he has given something to you. It is his gratuity that is his grace. His grace is revealed by the abundance of what he has given to you in him because he is your God, because you are his child. Because of what he has given to you, he has revealed that he is gracious The doctrine of grace is not about a teaching. It is about a God who is gracious, about a God who is continually gracious, who is continually showing you what he has already given to you. That, to me, is the difference between the doctrine of grace and the God who is gracious. I do not live by the doctrine of grace. I live by a God who is gracious. Those two things are not the same. There is a major difference between a teaching and a person. 
And that's what I wanted to tell you about in this program. And that is that your God is a gracious God. And the graciousness of God is not a convenient teaching. It is everything about who you are. It is everything about how you live. And it is not something that you study one day and forget about another. It is everything about your life. Everything about your life is tied to, is understood through, is related to his graciousness of all that he has given to you. And he has done so because he is merciful. When we talk about our God who is full of grace and mercy, and of course he is full of truth, but that he is a merciful God. Yes, he was merciful so that he could be gracious to give us all that we need. Now, this is something that people have a hard time embracing. And there are some simple ways that you can identify folks who know nothing about this. And if they do, then it doesn't matter what kind of title they have or what kind of a position they have or who pays their salary. Those things don't mean anything anymore. You can identify folks who do not know their God simply by understanding a few basic fundamental things. And these things have to do with stuff like, Oh, Lord, I pray that you will bless us one day. Or if you will obey God, then he will bless you. If somebody says anything that sounds like that, you know that you're listening to somebody who does not know anything about the graciousness of God. And while you may be able to talk with them about the grace of God and the teaching of grace and the doctrine of grace, and they may have a lot to say about it, they do not know the God who is gracious. And if you do not know the God who is gracious, folks, you have nothing. You may have an abundance of theological knowledge, but you have nothing. You may have an abundance of Christian philosophies, but you have nothing. You may be able to quote an entire list of Christian doctrines, but you still have nothing. If you are living a life trying to obtain something from God, then you have no idea what he has already given to you. And perhaps he has not given anything to you. That might very well be the case. Maybe that's why you believe stuff like that. I don't know. I'm thankful I don't have to know. But what I do know is that if you hear stuff like this from people, you're listening to somebody who has no concept of the gospel, who has no concept of the living God who is actively participating in your life. And I would encourage you to ask the Lord himself, what he sees and what he hears, and ask him to show you who he is and what he has done, what he has given, and what he is doing in your life right now. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net